Can you all hear me? Okay. Um, I've got a couple of handouts if I could get one or two volunteers. Yeah, tell me about it. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Thank you. So first of all, forgive me for being a little late. Um, have y'all ever seen one of those movies where the dad has to take care of both kids because mom's occupied? That was me. Um, so appreciate your patience. And let me just, okay, cool. Randy, is this thing on or do I do something with it? Okay, cool. Okay. Um, first of all, if you don't know me and, and you enjoy tonight's lesson, my name is Landon Bryant. If you don't enjoy it, my name is John Gott. So please direct your, your comments accordingly. I see you back there looking at me. <laughs> so in, in contrast to Barrett's lesson where we had six or seven verses, mine is the end of the judges. So I took that to mean everything after that. <laughs> um, so we'll start with, with a couple of slides, but um, you can follow along with your handout as well. And I've, uh, I've tried to bold everything in the PowerPoint that needs to be written down if you're following along, so, uh, okay. So, first, uh, first thing to write down in the outline if you're following along is, is a quote from a great friend of mine. So, it's basically, the Bible is one big redemption story, and tonight we're going to go through and we'll see how that comes to life with the transition from the period of the judges to, to the kings of Israel. Um, and you'll see up here, so I've got just like a random assortment of dots. So by the end of the lesson, we'll see how all those dots come together and, and uh, show us that redemption story. So we'll go to the next slide. So we'll start out with a couple of characteristics. So we're starting to describe a certain time period here. And so we'll go through these. I'll list them all out, and then we'll do a um, sort of a one-by-one. One. We'll, we'll do some commentary on each of them. But... While I'm going through this, if you could think to yourself, is this describing the period of the judges, or is this describing today, 2023? So, first off, we have a leadership crisis. I don't know for you, but that that rings pretty true today for sure. Um, There's moral and social decay. Security and stability. There's a quest for security and stability. Foreign threats and alliances, huge topic. Religious and cultural shifts. Social injustice and inequality. Cycles of repentance and renewal. A call for personal responsibility. And democratic decision making. Now if you're following along, don't panic. These will be up here for a little bit. We're going to go through each of them a little more in depth. But um, We'll start with a leadership crisis. So each ruler has their own strengths, weaknesses, and respectively those will significantly alter the course of of a given nation or even the world. Um, Does that resonate with anyone for today, anyone for the judges, just thinking amongst yourselves? Moral and social decay, so pivotal changes in what was considered acceptable in society. So security and stability, world events, economic distress, religious divides, etc. You know, people are desperate for something to cling to when these things happen. 
Foreign adversaries often leading to situations of unrest. Changes in religious practices and cultural norms creating conflict amongst the people. Certain people, practices, and beliefs are under attack. And no matter how many spiritual rebirths we go through, it seems like we always fall back into darkness. Out of that darkness, there seems to be always someone calls for everyone to be responsible for their own self and hold themselves accountable. And lastly, we have democratic decision-making. Now, that's not necessarily talking about um, a political you know, philosophy or anything. That's We make communal decisions, and often it's based on compromise rather than what may have been better for, for the long term. Uh, so with that in mind, what do you think we're, we're talking about? Which time period? It's funny how that works, isn't it? <laughs> Obviously, you probably figured out that's a trick question. We're, we are talking about both. So the point tonight is, is to see how hopefully we can learn from the past and and uh, how this is not that hard if we would just follow the instruction book that, that we've been given. Okay, so as we've mentioned, um, we're talking about the transition from the period of the judges to a king. So next thing on your outline, what does Israel want? How so? Okay. Spoiler alert, they will get what they want. So that's the next two lines on your uh, on your outline. If I could get a volunteer, not Hiram, to read Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 through 20. I don't let Hiram do that because he'll tell you there's a 21st verse, but there's not. So this tells us... Oh, you go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Thank you for that, Jeremy. So that tells us, in essence, a king is coming. Um, but what we can see from this is no matter how many times that they ask for a king, it's never going to be the answer. <laughs> so, as I mentioned in the opening, uh, I took the the end of the Judges to give me a lot of uh, liberty to move back and forth between the Old and the New Testament. So, we're going to jump to the New Testament, and if I could get a volunteer to read the first part of Luke 15, 11 through 19, so the first part of the prodigal son, Through 19. Is that 19? Yeah, thank you. All right. So that's the first half of the prodigal son. How do we think that might relate to the to the period of the judges? Any thoughts? Okay, yeah, definitely. Anything else? I've got a few, but I'm just curious what the crowd thinks. Yep. Yeah, definitely. See that? So a couple of things that I had, had written down. So... Um, one number one, there's a blessed life. These are these are um, some of these are on your handout. Some of these are not. I don't think this portion is. Um, but we have impatient demands, a turning away from the Father, despair, and repentance. And let's focus in a little bit on impatient demands. So even though the the Father most likely had his own reservations about giving the son what he wanted, what he demanded. He ultimately did it. There was no changing his heart, and he knew better. Um, you know, once he gave it to him, he stood on guard for his return, and we can see that sort of cycle in the judges. Um, 
you know, the, the people turn away so far. They fall to their lowest point and they come back and the Father accepts them for so long. And then, uh, you know, I think we can see that pattern in a lot of different places. Uh, and like we talked about, the impatient demand in the period of the judges is that call for a king. Okay, now, if I can get someone to finish out the uh, prodigal son, we'll do the second half, 20 through 32. Thank you for that. So, like the previous portion, how do we think that might relate to the you know, the time period we're talking about here? Definitely. Anybody else? A rebirth, if you will. Yeah. Okay. So let's. I've got a couple points here. That, um, as we mentioned, so there's acceptance by the father after turning away. There's a new turning away from the father. Different child, but I think we can probably equate that to just different time periods in the judges. And then celebrated in rebirth, um, focusing in on on the, that new turning away. You know, it is it's a different son, but it doesn't really matter. The father loves his his children, and we can see that in in our, you know our heavenly father. And this is just one example of how we might see um, in the period of the judges sort of paralleled in in the newer testament, New Testament. <laughs> okay, so transition to a king. If I could get a volunteer to read 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10, also known as Hannah's poem. Thank you for that. So there's a um, there's a pattern that's alluded to here. Um, if you could read verse 10 again. So we know a kingdom is on the horizon. This is one of many places it's, it's spoken about. Um, but if we focus in on Hannah's poem, the pattern that's here, and this is the next portion of your outline, is about how God opposes the proud and exalts the humble. So where else might we see that type of pattern in the, in the Bible? Besides Neil and Hiram. <laughs> i got to save them for later. Anybody? That's, that's exactly right. The, the, it was a trick question. You see it everywhere. It's hard to read, read any sort of... You pick a random page, you'll... you'll find something like this or a detail relating to. Okay, perfect. Um, now we are transitioning sort of into, okay, we're getting a king. So so we know from past lessons and just reading our Bible through our, throughout our years, Samuel anoints Saul as the first legitimate king. Now I say legitimate. Who was a king before that? We, we had a lesson about that. Yes. Yes, that perfect, and that's that is the next portion of your uh, of your outline as well. So, Abimelech, son of Gideon. Oh, uh, so, what does uh, this is this is uh, just a statement there? But our outline says Samuel tells us Israel must have a king that is both humble and faithful to God. What does he tell us is not going to be? What's not going to happen if if we don't have a humble and faithful king? What was that, Dave? <laughs> it's not going to be good. We to to have a, anything short of a humble and faithful king will will ultimately lead them to despair. Um, and we know, regardless of how humble and faithful that king is, it's never going to be like their king, you know, our Lord and Savior and the Creator of the universe. So Saul's reign comes about. <clears throat> 
It starts off strong, but by the end of it, his pride has been opposed by God, and eventually, humble David has been exalted. The pattern shows itself again. There's a couple of a couple of lines on your outline there, so I'll give you just a second. But yeah, it's you know it's uh, I'm a I'm a fairly young father, uh, but I have a one-year-old and a four-year-old, and uh, <laughs> they test my patience. But when I read stuff like this, I'm just like, what am I complaining about? <laughs> uh, so if we we skip through, we're going to go to the rise of David. So. God tells Samuel to select a son of Jesse of Bethlehem. So that'll, that'll tie back to our, our lineage that we're, we'll focus on in a minute. Specifically in 2 Samuel, we see the establishment of the Davidic covenant. And this, uh, this is where we see you know, David has promised an everlasting kingdom. It's a, uh, a continuation or a reaffirmation, if you will, of, of the promise to Abraham. Uh, refer back to Hannah's poem again. We know a king is coming. Uh, which prophet tells us about David's kingdom? It's already on the slide, so pretend you didn't see it. <laughs> we read about that from the prophet Nathan. What was David's desire? He wants to build, build a temple for, for God. And he was ultimately told no. We know later on that, that, becomes, uh, that comes for his son, but... Uh, his desire, you know, his heart was in the right place, right? But what we see, uh, you know, it's a continu- so we build the temple. It's a continuation of the promise to Abraham. But then what do we see happen in David's life? So things are going great. He wants to build a temple. Eventually things all go south. With We have the, the story of Uriah and, and Bathsheba. It's almost like humble David has become proud. Does that sound familiar? And this is why I say that God's patience is incomprehensibly large. And there's a couple of there's a, a at least one there for your uh, for your outline if you're following along. Okay, now this next portion I will say um, we're going to skip forward a little bit. We're not uh, we're not doing a chronological follow through here. Um, is everybody caught up on the outline? Or if, if you're following along, anybody need a second? Perfect. Um, so the monarchy has been established. We know we know it's been coming for a while, and now it's here. Why is it important that the Davidic kingdom be one established and then two maintained? Yes. So the the Davidic kingdom. We've talked about how it's already a sort of a reaffirmation of the promise to Abraham, but it also ties in exactly with the, the messianic prophecies. So we know that this is a very pivotal moment in our time, and and we'll see, you know, the the kingdom is preserved regardless of, of tragic events that may come for uh, come in the future. Um, to that point, so we do have uh, some well documented consolidations of power. Eventual captivity, we know all that. We've, we've had lessons over that numerous times. But towards the end of the book of Second Kings, we, we have the, the story of the finding of the scroll by Josiah. 
what does that tell us? What if we think about the sort of the the resonance that that has? We had to find the scroll. It's not that we knew where it was. You know, if, imagine today if society at at large lost the Bible, like no one knew it. That's where they are. They're at a point where it was something to find rather than the number one selling book in the world year over year. You know, you could argue that they're at their lowest point they've ever been. So, and that's uh, that's our follow-up here. So, you know, the Holy Scriptures of the day were not only ignored, they were flat-out lost. Uh, that's just incomprehensible to me. And that's, you know, when I reflect on that, it's a blessing that, that what we have in front of us, you know, I've got it in my pocket, I've got six or seven copies at home. I, I can't imagine us losing it, but it happened back then. Uh, and we're... We're very blessed to have that uh, that recorded today, and and uh, I think that speaks you know volumes. Not only did God preserve the Davidic covenant, but He preserved His writings, His His instruction book for us. But we're at our lowest point. Things are definitely dire from a you know worshiping God point of view. But we have a glimmer of hope. If I get a volunteer to read Second Kings 25, 27 through 30. Thank you for that. So um, let's have a, a little discussion. So we see that Joachim, I can't pronounce it, but is is in prison, is brought out, and is, is able to sit near the, the royal table. Why is that significant? Who is he, though? He's the would-be king if they were not in, in exile, right? But he's still there, too. That's the... Right, he's he's the Davidic covenant is preserved. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. The, but the the Babylonian king doesn't know he's serving God's will by preserving the Davidic covenant. I think that's just uh, that's important for us to reflect on. Uh, so, <clears throat> skipping forward a little bit, the uh, so the lineage of David is protected, regardless of how let's let's say misguided it may be. We have explicit confirmation that David's line still exists up to this point. And if we if we study further, we'll see more and more places where it still exists. Um, yes. Absolutely, and and uh, like I said earlier, I, I reflect back on that as as a you know relatively new father. I every time I get a little upset with Luna or Linux for not listening, I'm just Wow, I can't, I can't imagine the, the patience and the love that God must have for us. Um, okay, follow up to that. So on the, on the note that you just mentioned, Neil, so each and every time we do see an earthly kingdom, doesn't matter if it's good, bad, ugly, left, right, whatever, it's never good enough because it's always going to be short of, of God and, and his ultimate kingdom. And we know that that's not one of this earth, a kingdom of this earth. So um, this next part is not something I can stretch out for 10 minutes, but we will still get out a little early. <laughs> but where does this all lead us? So um, we see again in Matthew 1, the lineage of Jesus ties back through, through uh, David, and we, we see that whole lineage laid out there. And this brings us sort of brings us home to this is the ultimate plan of redemption. And so that's that's a, the last thing on your outline. But you'll see I've got these dots up here again. So 
if you'll watch, and if I've done this correctly, I have a, an animation that I'm rather proud of, but we're going to bring the dots together. So in this, we see the crown and the cross. The dots come together. Now, who do we see those two things come together in? Exactly. So, you know, we have, uh, we have our ultimate redeemer in Jesus Christ, who is both went to the cross for us and is going to be our king. And, you know, I think what we can see in this is, like I said earlier, it doesn't matter how, how good or bad your leaders here on earth are, they're nothing to compare to what our leaders in heaven are going to be. Absolutely. Even the ones that have read it cover to cover. Absolutely. Yep. Great point. Yes, absolutely. That's, uh, what was that? Yes, yeah, and it's, uh, it tells us that, you know, no matter what we do, uh, we can always count on our, our Father to love us, and if we'll accept him and, and follow what he's laid out for us, it's pretty easy. <laughs> Somebody, oh, yes? No, absolutely. Um, there's a term that I, and, uh, I like to say I invented, but I'm, I'm sure I heard it somewhere. It's muscle memory Christianity. They have no idea what the text actually says, but... They, they've heard it all their lives, so or mom and dad did this, and you know they've never searched the scriptures on their own. Um, definitely something that is, is very prevalent today and something we need to be mindful of. Anything else or any comments or questions? And if not, I will give some time back to you. So thank you all, and I appreciate your, your participation and your patience for me tonight. <laughs>